Welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. Good morning, church. Real sense of the presence of the Lord here. It's just great. Uh, the reading this morning is out of um, the book of Hebrews, and it's chapter 8, New International Version. Jesus, the high priest of a new covenant. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. In Jesus, we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord, not by mere human beings. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If Jesus were on earth, he wouldn't be a priest, for there are already priests who offer gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. The Lord said, See to it that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry of Jesus has received, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. If there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they didn't remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor to say to one another, know the Lord, because they all will know me. From the least to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete And what is obsolete 
and outdated will soon disappear. Well, welcome to you. I'm Brian Harris, serve as Pastor Large Harry Carey, and it's my privilege to be able to look at this wonderful chapter, Hebrews chapter 8. Now, our house recently ticked over the 10-year mark, and with that, we thought that it was time to do a bit of sprucing up and some, uh, some renovations. Now, those of you who know Rosemary and I know that you should kind of hold your breath at this point, because we are seriously not do-it-yourself people. In fact, if Bunnings relied on us for business, they would have gone out of business many, many, many years ago. But anyway, we had the help of our daughter, Amy, and she gave us some advice on decorating, and she made it clear she wanted to do that, because if not, she would, we could have ruined the family inheritance one day and made all the wrong decisions. And she gave some excellent advice there, and we began. And by and large, when I say we began, uh, let's be quite clear, the people we contracted to do the work began. Uh, never would I do it myself. But um, at about the halfway stage, I've got to say, we kind of lost heart. I mean, the painter was there, and he had succeeded as a special extra bonus painting our blinds, no extra charge for the paint. Uh, and there was dust everywhere and mess everywhere, and there was still a long way to go. And we kind of just reached that point where you say, is this actually worth it? You know, why are we doing this? There was nothing that bad with the house before. I mean, why are we putting ourselves through this? And uh, it was that kind of stage where we thought if we could give up, it would be really quite nice to give up. And I think that the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of converts to Christianity. They've, they've been converted from Judaism. And I think that they're at that kind of a point. Why have we done this? I mean, was there really anything wrong with this old faith which we had? And we're going through so many difficulties to have, have, have this new faith. Why are we doing this? Why, why are we actually going about this? Is it really necessary? Is it really important? And, and we need to recognize that, that it wasn't just flippant stuff that they were talking about. They had actually suffered some pretty serious things. I mean, let's just flip, if you've got your Bibles there, we, we, we're focusing today on, on Hebrews chapter 8. But just cast your eye ahead just a tiny bit to Hebrews chapter 10. And it gives you a feel for some of the things that these, these Jewish converts to Christianity had gone through. So they were suffering ostracism from their fellow Jews, but they're also being persecuted by the Romans. And so Hebrews 10.32 tells us, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. I mean, that's a tough one, isn't it? There they had all the things that they had accumulated over a lifetime, and suddenly because of this new faith, it was gone. And they're having to build a new kind of a life for themselves. And they were sitting back and they're saying, my goodness, is this actually worth it? Is it actually worth it? And the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of wavering Christians who were facing just wave after wave of persecution, who were starting to think nostalgically back to the old days, and who were wondering, is this way actually better? 
And, and the thrust of the letter up until this point, and, and, and incidentally, just a slightly technical point, uh, Hebrews probably wasn't originally a letter. It was probably a sermon. So it was probably someone who came and preached to these people, and, and there are all kinds of cues in the, the letter why this initially was probably a preached sermon. And, and, and then it was written down, so we have it in a letter form. But, but initially it was, was this, this kind of sermon to encourage people not to give up. And, and, and as we've gone through the letter, we, we saw in the opening chapters that the writer of Hebrews says, just remember, in this new relationship we have with Jesus, Jesus is far superior to the angels that you're trusting in, in the old covenant. And, and, and then he goes on, and Jesus is far superior to Moses and the law of Moses that, that you received. And Jesus is far superior to, to, to the priesthood that you had through, through, through Aaron. And, and now he comes in and in chapter 8 he says, and remember Jesus brings us a far better covenant than the old covenant was. So when you sit back and you think, wasn't the old better, you're thinking through rose-colored spectacles. You are forgetting what it actually was like. Let's remember what we have in Jesus. Let's remember what we have in Jesus. And so he starts to speak about this better covenant which he has. And he's saying, so, so why persevere? Well, persevere because if you let the Spirit do the work in you that the Spirit is wanting to do, you, you will find that three kinds of things start to happen for you. And the first thing he says, if you, if you go to Hebrews chapter 8 and you look at uh, what's at uh, verse 10, 11, this is the covenant I will establish with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts I will be their God and they will be my people. And, and, and the preacher is basically saying to them that, that, that in this new order, as the Spirit works inside of you, you will find that God will work in you in such a way that instead of keeping the law of God seeming like an external thing that is hard and difficult to do, that inside of yourself something just changes, that a new alignment starts to come in, and you actually want to, you, you want to serve God, and you want to do what God wants you to do. Something fundamentally changes for you. My mother-in-law, bless her, lived to be 100 years old, and she, it never ceased to amaze me, her taste, her taste in food. She would come and she would, was never happier than if she was sucking on a lemon or sucking a lime, and she, she, she loved that. Now, now, I have an inherent sweet tooth, and so to, to find someone who by choice would kind of suck in a lemon or suck in a lime is just like bizarre, so far as I'm concerned. But it's actually very good for you and very healthy. And if you any nutritionists here, you'll say, good for you, you know, well done, you, you, you know, she did the right thing. And because, unfortunately, she didn't bequeath that tooth to her daughter, Rosemary, who I'm married to, uh, you know, whenever she would come, we would loud all the things that, that we like. So we'd have loads of lollies and chocolates and all kinds of things. And because that's what we liked, and she'd kind of look at it. And, and you know what? It was absolutely zero temptation to her. I mean, it was just immoral to find someone who could kind of look at, 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 at kind of pineapple lumps and jelly beans and licorice all sorts and not quiver with desire. I mean, it just, just wasn't, wasn't fair to find someone who, who was, was kind of wired like that. And she'd say, rather, do you have any grapefruit? I mean, who eats grapefruit? I mean, it's just the most appalling, disgusting. And the only way you can eat grapefruit is if you drown it in sugar and then it's no longer good for you. So, now no, why am I saying this? I mean, she lived to be a hundred 
because that's how she was wired, liking things like sucking lemons and sucking limes and things like that. And she didn't have to work at it, and it wasn't hard. It was just what her taste was. It was something that came naturally from within. And I think the writer of Hebrews is saying, the thing that's going to change for you is that up until now, keeping the law has felt like a really difficult, really hard, really work at it kind of a thing. It hasn't felt natural at all. But when the Spirit comes and lives inside of you, and when you actually see this new covenant that God is giving to you, you will find that this law is written on your heart. It is written in your mind. It is simply something that you actually want to do. The, the old Greek philosopher Aristotle used to distinguish in the virtues. He used to speak about uh, uh, keeping the virtues um, or... or I'm just, just, just trying to, to, to remember how he put it. He, he said that so, sometimes we act from virtue. We act, I will get this right. Aristotle said that we often act according to virtue. And he said that is different to acting from virtue. We often act according to virtue. And that is different to acting from virtue. And, and I think it's this distinction that the writer is making here as well, or the preacher is making here. That in the old covenant, we act according to virtue. What does it mean to act according to virtue? Well, for the Jews, it was really quite simple. Uh, if you were Jewish, uh, you had 613 laws that you had to obey. 613 is an awful lot. And they were broken up into laws which were positive laws and laws which were negative ones. So negative ones were things that you are not allowed to do. Positive ones were things that you had to do. And there were 365 of the laws were, were what we would call negative laws, something that you could not do. And 248 of them were positive ones, things that you actively had to set about and try to do. Now, of these negative ones, I mean, you, you, you can imagine that if you were Jewish, you would kind of look at this list of 365, and it probably wasn't accidental that there are 365. Every single day you woke up and you remembered a fresh thing that you were not allowed to do. Uh, and that's really kind of how it went. So, so, so you might look at them, and some days you might think, well, that's as easy as. So you might look at kind of do not murder, and you might say, well, that's fine. I, it's no one I particularly feel like murdering today, so that's easy enough. I'm not going to struggle with that one. Uh, do not steal. Oh, okay, okay. I mean, do you, I mean, do you mean if I'm going to get caught, I mustn't steal? Or can I steal if I, no one will notice? Okay, no, not allowed to steal at all. Okay, well, fair enough. I'll, I'll, I'll live with that one. Do not eat any bacon. Do not eat any bacon, please. That's terrible. That's really hard. That's difficult. I don't want to do that. I don't want that. And, and, and what would people say to you? They'd just say, well, suck it up, princess. That's the way it is. I mean, that's, that's the law. Keep the law. Some of them are easy. Some of them are hard. But you just do them all. And there are 613 of them, thank you very much. And you just do it. And you might say, I so don't want to do that. And they just say, well, tough. I mean, you keep the law, so you keep the law, so you keep the law. That's what you do. That's what it means to be a godly person. And the writer comes in and says, but because Jesus has come, and because the Spirit has come, and because something is happening inside of you, something is being realigned. And you will find that in this new covenant, the law is now written on your heart. It is not external to you. You're not acting according to virtue. You will be acting from virtue, from something that simply is flowing up inside of you, and you do it because you actually want to do it. And that is ever so much better, to be able to act from virtue rather than simply according to virtue. 
Jesus, in fact, summed it up. You remember the person came to him and said, you know, so which law is the greatest of them? And uh, they were thinking of this backdrop of 613 laws. And Jesus said, it's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. All the law is tied up in this. And, and, and Jesus actually says that, that now in this new covenant, you don't have to have these 613 things that you desperately got to keep. You've just got to let the Spirit work inside of you and see what it means to love God with everything that you've got and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so when you're thinking of giving up, why give up? It, it might be tough, and yeah, opposition might be, might, might be building, but God is doing something inside of you, and hold on to that which God is doing deeply inside of you. The writer goes on. So don't give up because God is transforming you inwardly. And then he says, and, and God is building you into a community that knows God. A community that really is quite different because it is transformed by the knowledge of God. And he says this in, in, in verse 11. And uh, let's read it. This is the covenant I will establish with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. They will all know me. No longer will you teach your neighbors to say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. Now, now what's the writer thinking or the preacher thinking about it at that, that point? Well, basically he's saying, as the Spirit works, he's building you into a new community where together you know the Lord, and you just do know the Lord. And, and, and he was thinking of the old situation in Judaism. And he was thinking of these 613 laws. And he was thinking about, you, you, you know, in the old covenant, you would go to someone and you would say to your neighbor, do you know the Lord? But by which you would mean, are you keeping the laws? And you would say, yes, yes, I know the Lord. And your neighbor might say, what about law number 489? Have you kept that one? And you might be able to say, yes, all squeaky clean, thank you very much. But 313, what about that one? Ooh, maybe not today. Know the Lord, know the Lord. And it was this, this, this kind of a, a community where you had to go around and you had to reprimand everyone into place and you had to, had to make sure that everyone was obeying and everyone was compliant. And it just felt seriously artificial, seriously artificial. And, and what the writer here is saying is there is a new day coming. There is a new day coming. You are in this new order where you are part of the community of God. And you don't need to go around saying, know the Lord, know the Lord, because you will all know the Lord. And something deep will be happening inside of yourself. He's picturing the church. He's picturing you and me. And he's saying, this is the kind of community we should be today. And that as you come here, you should come into a group of people who, who just inspire you to live more closely to God, who encourage you who if at times you do feel like lagging or flagging, somehow they give you the motivation to change. Now, now, now let me be very practical here, because you may say, Brian, this, this all sounds very nice, but if all of this stuff is happening, why, why hasn't it happened for them? I mean, he's saying, you, you know, you're going to be changed inwardly, so, so why are they thinking of giving up their faith? I mean, surely you've got to ask that, that question. Why, why are they thinking of giving it away if all these wonderful things have happened? And I think it is a good question. I think that the writer is saying, 
Give it time. Give it time. Uh, many of you are parents. And uh, if you parents of a first-time child, if, if you've got your, your first child, like most parents, you, you probably look at the different stages that, that your children go through, and you almost wonder whether you've got to do something to get them, them to the new stage. Oh, my goodness, my baby's just sleeping through the night so beautifully. Couldn't be teething, you know. They, 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 they better get their teeth, you know. Is there something? Should I take them to the orthodontist to check if teeth need to come? And, and, and you know, you need to say to people, calm down, calm down. The teeth will come. The teeth will come. There really is no rush about it. Or you may think, you know, my baby's not speaking. No, is there an app that can talk, teach language or something like that? You know, calm it down, calm it down, calm it down. Language will come with time. Just give it time, give it time, give it time. And, and I think that the writer of Hebrews is saying, you know, just give it a bit of time. Yeah, it is tough now. Yeah, it is difficult now. Yes, it is hard now. But God has given you a new covenant and let it work away inside of you. It's the image that Paul gives as well in, in the letter to the Galatians when he speaks about the fruit of the Spirit that starts to grow within the people of God. And he says, remember that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. But it's fruit. I mean, it doesn't come fully formed. It, it grows up over time. So, so be this community in this new covenant where the promise has been given that the law will be written in your heart and in your minds and you will be with a group of people who know the Lord and who encourage one another to live for the Lord spontaneously and deeply from the heart. Let it grow, let it grow. Now, now of course, we can stunt it from growing and there are all kinds of things we can do. I mean, some of you would have read about how in, in ancient China they used to bind women's feet and they'd bind them up very tightly because at that time, for many centuries, small, tiny feet were considered to be, be very, very beautiful. And these poor women suffered great pain all their lives because their feet had been bound up. But, but, but the point of that was that that wasn't a natural thing, that if they just left everything alone, everything would have been absolutely fine. You, you, you can block processes that should take place, and we can block the work of the Spirit in our lives. And, and sometimes there are things that, that, that block what the Spirit should be doing, and we do live in a difficult time. We live in a world, for example, that says that we are the most important people that, that, that could possibly be. I mean, this is the age of the iPhone and the iPad and the i-everything. And the trouble with me, myself, and I is that we build ourselves worlds that are far too small. And, and you know when you become the I is everything, then something within you gets crushed and gets held back. And everything that God is wanting to do inside of you is stunted and doesn't grow as it should. We live in a world where, where money has become everything. I mean, for most of human history, yes, there have been some people who've been obsessed with money, but most people have been content to just have enough to get by. But suddenly in this era, money has become our God. And so we'll do anything to earn just a bit more and a bit more so that we can have a bit more and a bit more and a bit more. And when we do that, it takes the place of God and something inside of us gets stunted and held back. You've probably heard the, the, the true story of George Beverly Shea, who used to sing at the Billy Graham rallies. And uh, God just blessed his ministry enormously. So Billy Graham was a wonderful preacher and led thousands and hundreds of thousands of people to Jesus. But some of it was because of George Beverly Shea's singing. And early on, as George Beverly Shea uh, sang at those rallies, his incredible voice was noted. And he was offered a contract, a secular contract for 
for just vast sums of money to give up singing, singing at those rallies and just to be a normal singer, a famous singer. And that time, George Beverly Shea penned those words which were to become famous. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have his love than mansions untold. Rather have Jesus than silver or gold. But, but, but you see, they're, they're little temptations, little pulls that come along the way. That, 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 that say, actually, no, money is more important, or this is more important, or that is more important. And it crushes the work of the Spirit inside of us. And for the Hebrews, uh, the, the, the recipients of this, this sermon, this letter, what was crushing them was really just fear. I mean, it was just naked fear. Will we be okay? Will we be safe? We've seen people being persecuted. Is it going to be all right for us? And as that, if they allowed that to grow, then it would crush the work that the Spirit was doing inside of them. And so the writer has to say, you know, keep trusting in God. Keep trusting in God. Don't give up. Don't give up. The third promise which he gives, he says, as, as this is a new and a better covenant because it is written on your hearts, because it is written in the community, and it is a new and better covenant because forgiveness is truly possible with it. And so if you look at, uh, let me read verse 11, no longer will they teach their neighbors or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. In the old covenant, what did you do if you sinned? Well, there were a range of offerings. Go to the opening chapters of Leviticus. If you're interested, you can read through uh, the different offerings. There were three main categories for sin. There was the burnt offering, uh, there was the guilt sin offering, and there was the guilt offering. And, and the stakes raised a little bit with each one. And so the burnt offering was for just general sins. And uh, the sin offering was if there was something quite specific that you'd done that was wrong. And the guilt offering was if it was something quite serious and restitution needed to be made. But there was one condition with each of those, and that was that what you'd done needed to have been unintentional. What you'd done needed to be unintentional. It might have been quite serious, but nevertheless was unintentional. Well, then it offered you forgiveness. In this new covenant, we are told... I will forgive their wickedness. I will remember their sins no more. You see, the, the problem with a covenant that has a way to forgive unintentional sin is that it just doesn't go far enough. Because when we look deeply into ourselves, all of us know that there is actually a deep and very real shadow self inside of ourselves. And that not all sin is unintentional by any stretch of the imagination and that we are culpable of most of it. I remember when, just before I got married, a friend of mine had got married a few months before, and I said to him, so tell me, what, what, what have you learned about yourself you know, since getting married? Because I thought he might have some, some helpful advice for me. And he said, I have learned how very selfish I am. I've learned how very selfish I am. And I thought, oh, well, that's fine. Glad you had that problem. It's not going to be one I have. <laughs> that's not me at all. I'm a very generous, kind-hearted, easy person. And oh my goodness, I got married and I discovered how selfish I was because, you know, we got married and Rosemary's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful person, but we don't have the same taste in everything. And, and you know, when you're married, the, 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 the really difficult thing is that quite often you've got to choose one thing, not two. And if your tastes are incompatible about things, who's going to win? I mean, it's tough, isn't it? And, and I discovered that I like winning, uh, you know, straight and simple. 
And oh my goodness, Rosemary likes winning as well. And uh, <laughs> you, 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 you discover that you're selfish. You discover that you're selfish. And, and, and there's so many things in life that you, you'd like to think, oh, that's just unintentional, unintentional. But no, when you dig inside of yourself, you realize that there's very, 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 very deep surgery that needs to take place. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying this is a covenant that deals with your shadow self. It offers forgiveness. It offers a new start. And it invites you to let the Spirit work deeply within. And as the Spirit works deeply within, you will find that over time, no, not just like that, but over time, things start to change and they get realigned. And you become part of a whole new community that's living in a different kind of a way. And you find that there's a new start no matter what the sin has been. Halfway through our home renovation, when the mess was at its worst and it seemed to be the bleakest, Rosemary looked at me and she said, if ever again I say, let's renovate the house, just shoot me. And I said, yes, I will. (laughs) But it's done now. And the house, you know, she's not shot, um, but... The house is so much better. It's actually lovely. You, you, you must come along sometime. Amy's done an amazing job and somehow it survived our efforts. And it's so, so, so very much better. And I'm so glad that we actually did it. Sometimes you've just got to persevere. Sometimes you've just got to persevere. And I think that what the writer's saying to you today is, if it should be that you're discouraged and you're wondering, is it actually worth it? The writer's saying, dig deeply into what God is offering you. The Spirit is there and will help you. And over time, you will be able to live not according to virtue, but from virtue. As God works deeply inside of yourself and deeply inside of the community. And you know what? And when you mess it up, there is forgiveness again and again and again. Praise God. Praise God for a new covenant. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that it doesn't all depend upon us. Thank you that you work inside of us, that you realign us. Sometimes, Lord, we're discouraged and we wonder if it's just too hard and we wonder if anything will ever quite come right. Help us not to lose heart, but to keep on putting all our trust in you. Thank you for the forgiveness that you bring us and thank you that it's been brought at the cost of your own life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen.